Did it work? Yeah. You hear me? <laughs> okay. Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to say thank you for, uh, to my family for coming out to support me. Uh, coming from Pennsylvania and Maryland and braving the weather. Uh, really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Also, I'd like to say thank you to uh, Pastor Timothy and Daniel for <laughs> nicely suggesting that I do this. I'd have been perfectly happy just sitting there for another couple years, but that wasn't going to happen. So uh, anyway, enough of that. Um, our passage today comes from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, as we come here, as I come up here today, I come realizing that without you, preaching is pointless. Uh, even though I've prepared without your power, this becomes an empty exercise. So I ask that you would remove me, hide me behind your cross, that you would speak to your people, that any Justin Collins type sayings would be moved out of the way um, so that we could hear from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in whom I trust. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I got through that first part. <laughs> we might be okay. <laughs> um, so when I was a young man growing up, I was growing up in Mount Zion, AME. AME stands for African Methodist Episcopal Church in Darby, Pennsylvania. There you go, Dad. Um, we would often have testimony service before church um, called it devotionals. Like, like what we just did uh, with the prayer request, only this was a time for testimonies, right? We wanted to hear how God was working in uh, the people who would testify his life. Is this feedback? Okay. How God was working in the lives of the people and in the church and the people uh, around them as well. And every so often, an older person would get up, who had lived some life, would get up and say, I should have been dead, but God. That phrase, I should have been dead, often struck me as a very strange thing to say. I didn't understand it at the time. I was about seven or eight years old. And to be honest, I wouldn't understand it until I was in my 20s. What did they mean they should have been dead when I got older? 
I would meet other Christians who would say the same thing. I should have been dead, but God. Maybe you know somebody who said the same thing. Maybe you have said the same things yourselves. I should have been dead. I think what they were doing is a lot like what the Apostle Paul is doing in this passage today, is that they were reflecting on their lives before they had met Christ, and they saw what it was. They were then in that testimony service, in that brief time, showing us what God had done for them and what life was going to be like afterwards as a result of that. So the Apostle Paul here is reminding us as Christians of who we were, what the triune God has done for us, and what it now means to live in light of that salvation. So starting at verses 1 through 3, we were, and some of us in here may be, dead. Before going any further, it would be good to define terms, right? What do I mean when I say dead? Well, I mean dead, right? (laughs) We had no life in us. Now, I know this seems like a strange thing to say. In a sense, if you're here today, you must be alive, right? After all, you got up, you got dressed, you drove or walked here, you listened to the music, which was excellent. Uh, Some of us even sang along. We must be alive, right? Well, maybe. The way I'm using death here is not as ceasing to exist, right? So, Scripture gives us examples of people who have died, but things carry on. So, for example, in Luke 16, uh, the poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And again, uh, from Revelation 6, 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In a Christian worldview, everyone lives forever, right? The twist is that we either live forever with God or we live forever separated from him. Uh, So that death, in this sense, is separation from God. So that when we were born, we were born separate from God. We've been separated from the very source of life. This death sentence is a sentence that was pronounced upon the whole world. So don't feel too bad. You're not alone. What I love about these verses is that it includes all of us. No matter how good we think we were or are, or how bad our lives were or are, we all have to face the fact that at one point in our lives, and maybe even still, we were separated from God. This is a fact that we cannot escape. It doesn't matter where we were born or how much money we have or don't have. It doesn't matter what good things we may or may not have done. There are no amount of good works that could ever be done to repair the damage that was done. We have been separated. Sin, this lack of conformity to the revealed will of God, has affected everything. So one of the questions that I often ask myself is, how did we get here? Um, I think the Heidelberg Catechism provides a pretty nice answer. So Heidelberg Catechism question 7 asks, whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? The answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parent, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our natures become so corrupt that we were all conceived and born in sin. 
We talk all the time about being made in the image of God. And this is true, and it's good, and we, and we should talk like this. We are born as image bearers of God, but we're also children of Adam. When he sinned, he took us with him. Remember, back in Genesis, he was told that if he ate of the tree which he was commanded not to eat, that in that day he would surely die. Well, he did eat. Paul, in Romans 5, reflecting on what this now means for us, says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Death rules over us. Death is what we know, and it's what we're good at. Dr. Brian Blunt puts it this way in his book entitled Invasion of the Dead. He says, Death is not only the power that rules over us, death is also the circumstance of our existence, the ontological essence of our being, and thus death's calling voice is the only summons that we hear. We are slaves to sin and death precisely because we are the living dead. Dead is who we are. Dying is what we do. See, the problem is not that we've committed various types of sins. No, it's worse than that. The problem is that we are dead. This is who and what we were. For some of us here today, this is what we may be. So not only were we dead, but we also lived under the influence of the world and Satan that is built on death and destruction. I like the way the New International Version of the Bible puts verse 2. It says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. For example, i got to go off script for a minute because I realized this morning that my example was probably not relevant because it's about 30 years ago. But when I was growing up in high school, when I was growing up in high school, when I was in high school, in the mid-90s, um, we went to Lower Marion High School in Ardmore. It was a pretty affluent high school, a pretty good school to go to. And as being African-American in that school, we were a very tiny minority. And we felt this every day, right? You'd go to class, you'd be the only guy sitting in class, people want to know, you know, about black stuff, they'd ask you, you'd be the only one there. Can we touch your hair? Stuff like that. And you'd say, <laughs> you'd say no, you know, don't do that. It's not going to be good for you. Um, and one of the ways that we thought of dealing with this, right, again, it's high school, so we didn't always pick the wisest way to deal with it, is that we were going to identify ourselves with a culture that sort of affirmed who we are as black people, right? It affirmed our blackness. So we chose hip-hop culture, right? And so in the 90s, this, is, this will be brief, hip-hop culture was rediscovering its 70s roots, so to speak, and so it was a time when hip-hop and black exploitation films met, right? And so, for example, you had rappers like Biggie Smalls, right? Well, Biggie Smalls was a name that he stole from a 1970s film, uh, Let's Do It Again, with Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby, or Foxy Brown. And again, all this is just trying to bring the example in. And so what we were going to do is we were going to live our lives counterculturally through this medium, right? And so when we went to class, we would hide the fact that we did our homework, right? And it became like a mission impossible thing when you turned it in. You didn't want any of your friends seeing that you had actually done it. We lied about our test scores. Hey, man, how'd you do? Well, you know I failed that. Oh, yeah, me too. We didn't fail. We had, we had to go home, right? And so... 
That was more dangerous than your friends not approving of you. But it's what we built our lives around, right? We built our lives around these lies, and these lies separated us from each other, right? So we were separated from our friends because of these dead works that we were trying to live in in order to prove a point which shouldn't have, which didn't need to be proved, right? And I don't know if some of you might have similar stories of lives that have been built around the expectation of others or lives that have been set up to sort of fit into the standard that we were never meant to fit into in the first place. Um, but we were trapped, and we felt the weight of this every morning. And it gets worse. Not only were we following the world's dead ways, we were enslaved to the devil. So we don't have to wait until Black History Month to wonder or to talk about slavery. All we have to do is remember our past. In the middle of all of our rebellion, we thought we were free. It was like, well, no, it is Stockholm Syndrome, which was defined as a psychological phenomenon in which hostages express empathy and sympathy and have positive feelings toward their captors, sometimes to the point of defending and identifying with their captors. Isn't this time that we realize that this is the exact opposite of what the blessed life looks like from Psalm 1? Earlier, prior to the sermon series in Acts, Pastor Daniel preached about Psalm 1 and describes the life of the blessed man. And in Psalm 1 it says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But this is what this text is here describing. This is what we were. We weren't the blessed man of Psalm 1. Look what Paul says. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'd like to take a minute here and just draw a few applications from uh, what we've gone through so far. And the first one is simply this, that salvation was not anything that we could do in and of ourselves. See, Christianity is not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps type of religion. We had no boots and we had no straps, right? It's the sole gift of God. When we think about salvation this way, we can see how truly liberating this is. We never have to worry about cleaning ourselves up before coming. There is no sin that we have committed or that was committed against us that would prevent the grace of God from invading our lives. Amen. Secondly, we have all been saved by the same grace. As we are unified in death and separation, we have been unified in the means through which God has chosen to save us now. No one who is saved is, a, is saved apart from the grace of God. We find common ground in unity in the fact that prior to God's intervention, we were all children of wrath. And the third point is the point that I need to get a lot more than I do is humility. It's not something that we need to work for as much as realize that we already have. Um, and again, I say this, my family's here, my wife's over there, so they will get on me with this later. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's right here in the text, right? We have no ground to boast because there was nothing in us to boast about. We were dead. We were victims of death, enslaved to death, and in love with death. But God... 
In the black church, this is the part of the sermon where the old preacher, he would close his Bible and he would put away his notes. The organ would start playing. Old ladies with walkers would stand up unaided and start dancing. Those who had been forgiven much would take off running up and down the aisles. But why did they do this? Because in this moment of the realization of God's grace, there were no words or deep thoughts that could satisfy. It is in this moment that words fail to convey the sense of joy and hope that are found in the phrase, but God. For my musicians, it's like when Thelonious Monk would get up in the middle of a performance and just start dancing. Robin D.G. Kelly, a Monk biographer in a New York Times article entitled Monk's Moods, wrote that Monk was dancing for two reasons. The first was simply because he was trying to help conduct his, his bandmates. But the second reason is because when his bandmates would solo, he was so appreciative of what they had done that he couldn't help but just get up and start dancing. But God, this is why we shout, sing, and dance. We realize how far, how deep, and how active the love of God is towards us. Look at what the text says again in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The Father made us alive in Christ. Think about this. We were dead, separated from God, having nothing in ourselves that we could offer, and the Father loved us enough to send his Son. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but dead people just don't do much, right? I've never walked past a corpse, and the corpse asked me how I was doing. God takes the initiative and makes salvation not only possible, but real, motivated by his love and mercy alone. There was nothing in any of us that prompted God to act. It wasn't that the Father looked at us and said, Man, I'm impressed with this guy. I think I'll save him. Or, look at her. She already has it together. No, he looked at us when there was nothing good to look at, when we had nothing. But we have been made alive together with Christ. We have life because he is alive. We have been united to him. If you look back and do this when you have time, at chapter 1, verse 10, we see that it was God's plan from all eternity to unite all things in Christ. And this includes us. What he experienced, we will experience. His being raised from the dead and, and us being in union with him means that we have been, will be raised from the dead. As Christ is the blessed man of Psalm 1, our union with God means that God looks at us as that blessed man. In Christ, we become the opposite of what we were in verses 1 through 3. We are no longer dead but alive. We are no longer under the dominion of Satan and this world, but we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Just as he ascended in heaven, we have also ascended. In our union with Christ, we have the blessing spoken of in verse 7, that we see this goodness of God now. An illustration may help to explain this. When I was first going off to college, um, I liked to listen to records. If you don't know what they are, you can Google them later. It's fine. <laughs> But my mom had a lot of records, and I wanted to take them with me, but I couldn't take the record player. We had a family friend whose name was Mr. Bill, and Mr. Bill was a tech guru of Ardmore. So if you had a tech problem, you would go to Mr. Bill, and Mr. Bill would solve it for you. Mr. Bill was nice enough 
to take some of those old records and transfer them to CDs. And when I said thank you to him, he shot back a strange reply. He said, I didn't do this for you. He said, I did this because of whose you are. He said, I did this because of who your mother is. See, I received the benefits and the expertise of Mr. Bill, not because I had anything in it of myself that I could offer, but because he knew who I belonged to. And it's the same thing with us when we're in Christ. We haven't received his benefits because of anything we have done, but because of who we're in union with. We have seen and felt the riches of God that he has given us through Christ. So then as we move on to verses 8 through 10, what does this mean for us now? I think the text itself gives us the application. Look at verses 8 through 10 again. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our lives, our salvation, what God has done for us is not for us alone, right? It's not insurance. Oops, I cut out. It's not simply fire insurance or a get out of hell free card, but our lives are meant for the world around us. We no longer walk in dead works. We now walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand. Right? And these good works, whether we're teachers or janitors or musicians, artists, whatever they are, we've been called to bring life in the places that were formerly dead through word and deed. And this is what we have been saved for. Saved for, as the book title says, for the life of the world. Uh, which is also short film, series of films, but different story. Where we formerly walked in darkness, we are now called to walk in light. Let's pray. Father, you have brought us a mighty long way. You have brought us from being separated from you, justly deserving your wrath, to life and being united with your Son. Father, we pray that all these things would be true in our lives and that we would live in and experience the blessings of union with Christ and that we would share them with the world around us. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.